Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. In today's conversation, we're going to be covering knives and lethal force. Joining me in this conversation is Matt State, who not only has a strong martial background, but also a lot of practical real-world experience. Before we start, please consider supporting this show. You can subscribe to the Spirit Aikido online program, which now has almost 160 videos. You can also contribute any amount that you like through the PayPal tip jar. Even small contributions are greatly appreciated. I hope you enjoy this content. Now, on with the discussion. Welcome back to uh, Martial Wisdom. Uh, and this is kind of my next iteration from the Modern Aikidoist podcast. I'm sort of evolving into a new a new realm. I've really liked the interviews and the conversations that we've had. And I was reflecting that you learn a lot from your elders and from other people by sitting down and having good in-depth conversations with them. And so that's the theme that, that I want to go for here. We're trying to learn beyond just our fingertips and even more so learn beyond the echo chambers that wind up being our dojos or our small groups and, or even the realms that we are in, such as you know, academic martial art instruction. And so uh, I want to have Matt State back on again. I really liked our conversation last time. He comes from a, a strong reality background, and I have a great deal of respect for anybody that has uh, worked in a profession or has taken on dealing with violence uh, in a real-world environment. We have a great deal to learn from people like that. So the, the, the topic today is going to be talking about the realities of violence and specifically with things like knives dangerous weapons and deadly weapons. Uh, this is something that I think a lot of academic martial artists tend to get pretty delusional about. And we oftentimes will repeat each other's myths back and forth as though they are truth. And this is, it leads to a crisis of faith. And I'd like to help illuminate and sh have share some good conversation about things that I've learned, not only from people that I've worked with like Matt who have real world experience, but also, you know, hear from the horse's mouth directly. Somebody who's been in the in that uh, had that background. Um, so I guess let's get into it. Let's talk about uh, welcome back to the show, and let's talk about knives and and deadly force encounters and what the realities are. Uh, yeah, well, thank you for having me back. I'm uh, really enjoyed the conversation last time, and so looking forward to having a discussion now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess where where do we want to start? Uh, I think maybe a, a, the very first thing is imagining a knife fight as calling it a knife fight, like it's a duel of two people that have brandished a knife, I guess, like you would imagine it in a movie scene or something like that. Uh, and that now they're, you know, kind of like two fencers that are, that are going to engage in, in knife combat. And I guess that would be uh, what I've learned is, is pretty much a heavy duty myth. Like knives do not work like that. Um, what is your experience with with how knives and and deadly hand-to-hand -hand weapons or dangerous hand-to-hand -hand weapons tend to go well i think i think the first and obvious place to start really for me would be to identify that there are different types of violence mm -hmm. and so if we talk about consensual violence where two people agree to have a duel as you said there with regards to that kind of old-fashioned meet at dawn, choose your weapon kind of deal. Um, that's a completely different type of violence to somebody being jumped or mugged or physically assaulted. 
Um, and that's different, again, to somebody who is suffering, say, domestic abuse in the home and so on and so forth. So there's all different types of violence. And that's one of the first things to sort of, I think, to, to, to just agree on and say, well, you know, we, we, we never, we can't know, ever know everything about all different types of violence. We just can't. Um, and so all we can really do is come at it from our own particular point of view. And so what we're looking at really with regards to my point of view, that's based on um, many, many, many years working in the nighttime security. So working in bars and nightclubs, working as a bailiff, working as close protection officer, seeing violence for real in the raw, because that's a, a different thing to the sanitized version that we find ourselves practicing for the most part. And that fundamentally is, is something that we have to um, sort of acknowledge and address is realistically, we can't ever practice to a standard where it replicates real violence because, well, we've all got to go to work the next day. Um, psychologically, we're not prepared to do that to ourselves over any period of time because it's damaging. And, and also, what kind of human beings would we actually be if we took ourselves to that point in time you know, uh, out of choice regularly. Um, so all of those things have a bearing on what we're talking about and the discussion that that hopefully we're going to have. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about um, sort of weapons, we talk about knives, we talk about um, edged weapons specifically, then we've got to look at the psychological aspects of it, the legal implications of it, the physical applications of it. There's There's an awful lot to unpick besides you know besides just waving a knife around and doing a funky disarm on youtube let's put it like that, mm -hmm. that that's a perfect description and i and i it describes really well what we see online with uh techniques recommended for knife attacks that because you got to admit it that martial artists tend to that we tend to be so hyper focused on well show me a technique show me what what would i do against you know this or if this happens what do i do and in my opinion, that's, yes, that's part of martial arts training. Certainly it has to be, but it's not all of it. And one of the, one of the things that, that I learned many years ago, going into the realm of security was you watch for knives before they come out. Do you see them clipped in somebody's pocket, which is very common here. I don't know if they do it uh, over in, over in the UK as much, but over here in the States, oftentimes they will be slipped into a pocket and you'll see a little clip sticking out or you'll see a little clip sticking out over the belt. Um, or sometimes in this, uh, I guess in the, uh, the street type people will often leave it like a string dangling down because it makes it for a quick grab and, and deployment of, of the knife. So you watch for those things. You watch for them before it becomes a, a knife fight, before it becomes that, that uh, you know, the fang comes out and it, it winds up being you know, deadly. You try to solve your problem sooner up the chain before it, it comes out. And, you know, in that's fact, I had a, a, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. That's, that's what I was going to say. That's where it gets really interesting because then you start talking into the realms of profiling and, um, you know, and making assumptions about people based on information that you can gather. But that, again, that can be deemed as a very sort of murky, murky set of parameters to work within. However, as you rightly pointed out, we're in an ideal situation. You want to see the thing before it happens. You want to be able to, um, you know, assess the situation and read it correctly before it comes to that, which does include profiling, as you as you mm -hmm. rightly said, certain types of people will do certain types of things. 
Um, so again, that's another element that, that comes into this particular equation. Sure. Uh, and it's hard to train that in a, in a dojo environment. And, and <clears throat> I've worked with law enforcement officers and stuff who have set up these types of drills and the role playing and the acting is very hard to do because you will see all kinds of indicators in a, in a real world environment that you won't see in a simulation. Because um, you have the same people portraying, you know, uh, like a, a street bomb versus a thug versus a gang member versus, you know, confused Uncle Ted. Uh, they'll all look like the same. We're all on the, on the mat. You know, it's, it's hard to be a good actor and well, really portray the, those. It's not impossible. It's just difficult. Yeah. Well, one of the really interesting points about that that you've just said, and it flags it up and it reminds me um, of this particular thing. I once watched a demonstration of how Wing Chun can beat a boxer, right? Now, this has got nothing to do with Wing Chun or boxing or which is better or right or wrong. It doesn't make any difference, right? My point on this was it was the, the, the role of the boxer was played by a Wing Chun student. Mm -hmm. And so the movement was essentially Wing Chun pretending to be boxing. So sure. my point is, it, it, it didn't matter what the guy was pretending to be, whether it be a boxer or a karate guy or a Taekwondo guy, it doesn't matter he was moving like a Wing Chun guy. Mm -hmm. And that really highlights your point is, is, you know, when we're doing these role plays, when we're having these kind of scenario based things, they only take us so far because fundamentally we are who we are. We are not those people that go around stabbing other people. Well, I hope not anyway. Right. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> there, and the, the attacks that happen with a knife, and I've heard it described this way very well. And that is, there's really no such thing as a knife fight there's a knife ambush. And to me, that puts a, a pretty stark reality on if somebody pulls out a knife to attack you, they're not going to arrow flin you and go, ha ha, you know, guard yourself. They're going to basically pounce on you and start stabbing you very quickly and very vigorously. Now, it, it'll look a little different in like a maximum security prison versus uh, maybe, you know, a gang member on a street, but the intent is often very similar. Uh, and the expression is not sophisticated. It's not that of a, like you would describe, you know, Wing Chun is a, is a sophisticated art. It takes practice to do it precisely. But a knife attack does not take much precision for it to be of deadly effect. Um, mm. In fact, I think you could probably argue that most thugs and, and villains and, and the darker side of humanity, they don't spend a lot of time practicing tremendous precision the way a martial artist would, but they don't have to in order to be effective. In fact, that's kind of the, the point of the knife. You see what I did with the pun there, but um, the, the, the knife is will make doing great harm very easy for just about anyone. Uh, and for those that would like to challenge that, you know, if you take a nine-year-old and give him a marker, and tell him you'll give him a, a whole bucket of ice cream if he can put that marker all over you and you try to stop that 10 year old motivated you will find you're going to get more marks on you no matter what you know it's just that thing that knife is a hard thing to stop with somebody with some real intent um yeah well that's the word isn't it intent i mean that's exactly the word and the moment that you add that into the equation real intent then the whole dynamic changes uh, it becomes a very, a very different sort of animal. And I remember a long time ago where I was training with some uh, military guys and we'd been doing some knife defense and 
we've been working on various sort of things and, and drills and what have you. And it appeared that we'd all been getting a little bit, shall we say, big for our boots, you know, a little bit confident, a little bit cocky, you know, nobody got hurt. We was feeling that we was doing well. And the one guy, I remember it vividly because it just, it, it actually, you know, really shot me to my core at that moment. He actually pulled out this absolutely evil looking knife. It was jet black. It had a groove running along it. And it was just an evil looking thing. I mean, obviously it wasn't. You can't put that kind of intent into a, a tool, but it just resonated menace. I mean, it was designed for, you know, it was designed to cause injury. Simple as that. Right. And he held that knife and he went, OK, let's do that again. And all of a sudden, that foot distance that we did have suddenly turned into four foot. I didn't want to go anywhere near him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that was an instant reality check right there. Just, just something as simple. And the intent wasn't there. The, you know, there was no real harm meant, but just that by itself, just putting sure. an actual live blade that was designed for injury. Because again, um, a, a, you know, a lot of the stuff in the UK specifically, a lot of the street crime stuff is done with. Um, you know, kitchen knives, utility knives, that kind of thing. Mm, predominantly. Okay. But when you see a weapon that is designed for nothing more than actually being used as a weapon, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a power to that. And so, um, and so, yeah, I remember that really vividly. And I don't know whether you've experienced anything like that. You know, I, I have. And um, in fact, I wanted to share this story and because I think it, it strikes right to the heart of this. And it's, this will bridge us, I think, into the emotional side or into the psychology of a deadly encounter. And that is, <clears throat> I picked up for very cheap, some of those folding knives, you know, the locking folding knives you can get for like eight bucks at a hardware store. And I ground the edges off so they're nice and smooth. But going from a wooden tanto for practicing knife work, and then putting those in the student's hands, the exact same thing that you described happened. Now, these weren't as scary looking as like a Rambo knife or something that was like a Bowie or, or a big it was smaller. In fact, it was uh, about three or four inches smaller than a typical Tonto. But when you look down and you see steel and it's it, one of them is black and it's, you know, because I ground off the, the edge, it's, there's no, there's no, you can't cut yourself with it, but you look at that or you feel that cold metal. It, it affects every student that we, that I've brought those out with. And I mostly do that for uh, just what you talked about, the confidence of you know, with a wooden tanto, if you get a get a, a wrist uh, control or something on there, you can peel the thing out without being afraid of it. it. This changes everything entirely. When you go to slide your hand over to to take a knife out of somebody's hand, you feel your hand sliding along the blade, and it's it changes everything. Now, granted, in a very small way, I'm not with these because even though they're 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 blunted and I've ground the edge off and the points off. If we go with heavy intent, I'm still concerned that somebody could get stabbed or, or you know, skin ripped or something like that. But the mentality does change, and it changes remarkably, even with that minor little change. Now, if it was a combat knife or something of that nature, um, you know, I think the same thing holds true. And I know a lot of people use the aluminum trainers, you know, the really thick ones that are well rounded off. Yeah. Um, I've noticed that those are. You get a better feedback than than a, a a wooden tanto, but they're not as effective as even just a normal lockback knife that's had the edge dulled and the point ground off. Um, and of course, you could go farther. I had an instructor that picked up one of those electric shock knives, and yeah. you know, you turn it on and it goes, 
you hear it crackling and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to get zapped if I hit by this. And just same thing. Suddenly one foot turns into four feet. Like everybody gets away from it because they don't want to get shocked. Um, yeah. And it, it is, it's a good adventure to go into to, to have that priority of, um, you know, it matters now. You're going to feel some negative feedback. Yeah, well, it's that Xbox mentality, isn't it? Or PlayStation, whichever, whichever game you favor. Basically, it's that computer game mentality, which is you're not actually going to die. You get to live again. If you mess it up, you get another life. And that's um, and that mentality and that, that 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 mindset is a completely different shift um, from, you know, when when you're facing something for real. Mm-hmm. And so that. As like I said, I mean, you can't really replicate that. There is no way to replicate it. But what you can do is acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And I think fundamentally, once you've acknowledged that, then then the training automatically, I, I think anyway, for me, what I find is that once you acknowledge that, the training automatically reigns back and it becomes um, far more basic because the understanding is that you've only got one shot, you know, if you, and that's only on the understanding that there is no other alternative, you know, all other alternatives have been exhausted. You know, we don't walk around going, please, somebody attack me with a knife. I've trained for a few weeks. I'm good for this, you know, Um, that, that sort of thing that you see sometimes. So it's that acknowledgement of understanding that it is a one shot kind of deal. And there are consequences to an action that does, I think, frame it in a way where, the the training becomes a lot more simplistic and basic or at least i find that yeah i do and i find the exact same thing is you don't have time to be intricate or complicated or pull any try to pull off anything that's risky or complex it needs to be simple direct and uh very low risk with very high reward and that eliminates a lot of a lot of overcomplicated motions and i think you know, we martial artists, being the geeks about it, we are. We love getting into every little nook and cranny of martial arts. And when you train it for years, you almost take for granted the simple and direct. You want things to be a little bit more complicated and more elaborate and fancier and look more impressive. But against a knife, there's no time or space for that. Um, in fact, I remember a, a story, and maybe you've heard this one too, because I know this is going around the internet uh, a number of years ago. And it, this was from uh, Greg Nelson, who is a world-renowned uh, MMA coach and trainer. And he's here in the Twin Cities where, where I'm at, although we've never met. But I remember hearing this story, and he, he has said, spread this around, because this was a big learning experience for me. He was attacked with someone wielding a knife. Right. And, and I would count that, that Greg, at least just by reputation, knows probably 10 times more about martial arts than I do. I mean, he's been training fighters for decades. Um, and he his by his story, and I'm going to paraphrase this because I, I didn't, I haven't heard it recently, but I remember he said, I grabbed the arm of the, the knife wielder, the one that was holding the knife. And he said, I didn't even get the arm. I grabbed the sleeve of the, the garment that he had, and I just clamped down on it tight. I got my hips and body as far away from the knife as I could. And then I forgot everything I knew about martial arts, like all the stuff I was trained to do and had been training to do. And it was deep in there. I couldn't access any of it. He said, the only thing I could think to do was to start shin kicking the guy as fast as and repeatedly as many times as I could. And he said, and he thought of the same thing. So he started shin kicking me back and forth. So I'm standing there holding this arm to keep it from cutting me and just kicking, kicking away. And then he said, I forgot about 
I don't, I don't remember the fight, but the next thing I remember is picking up a chair and basically throwing it at him and getting out of there. Like that's how it ended. So you take somebody, a very sophisticated, highly experienced, disciplined martial artist with a monster repertoire, knew all kinds of different things. And this speaks to the mindset part. Faced with a deadly encounter, changed entirely. His mind changed, his, the way his body and brain worked changed. And the things that he thought he would access, had access to, he, he admits like it wasn't, I didn't think of anything complicated. I was just suddenly in a survival mode. And I'm, I'm sure that's that part is adrenaline. And I think to be fair, another aspect too would be how many sport fighters ever bother spending any time training against a knife because you don't get that in a ring. You know, so maybe that particular aspect he did not train enough to be comfortable with. I mean, I don't know. I haven't talked with them about it. I'd be interested to get his insights, but. I use this as a lesson and I share this with my students because this would be something that could happen to somebody for real that won't happen to a sport fighter. You know, at least sport fighters, they, they train to be in that ring. That's what they spend all their time doing. And they don't like spending a lot of time doing other stuff that is not involved with them winning their prize fights. So it, it's understandable that, you know, what, what you train and how you train it you need to think about how that translates to how you want it to perform when the time comes, like what environment are you, are you aiming your training for? Um, and that's not to say that somebody who trains MMA fighting or sport fighting is, would be completely helpless in such a situation, but you're, you'd be kind of behind the eight ball if you didn't train for situations exactly like that. And I think that's why, uh, you know, police training is a certain way. Military training is different. It's its own certain way. Cause it's, that's a different, like you said earlier, a different type of violence. Um, the stuff that security people train for, apprehending people, getting them out of a club, that that is specialized to its own uh, needs. Um, uh, and all of it is really to build that confident mindset that you your mind is ready to perform under those conditions when that time comes. What would you What would you think about that approach? Yeah, well, I think I. I think it's it's a really challenging thing, isn't it? Because as I as I said at the start, I don't think that realistically it can be trained to the level required for us to switch on. Um, I mean, that's the very elite of the elite that can that can sort of go into those kind of training um, scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, but it, what what is interesting is that when you when you look at martial arts as a whole, there are two factors really that spring to mind for me. Number one is that we are, if, if you like, collectors of technique. We have to be mm -hmm. um, because we constantly want to learn. We constantly want to sort of evolve and we constantly want to get knowledge. And, and if we condensed martial arts to its core or self-defense to its core, it's abrupt, it's simplistic, and it's more about attitude as much as anything else. Sure. And so all of those superfluous techniques that we learn and we love doing are actually redundant in that moment, truth be told, for most. Um, and the second thing is, 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 as you said there, with regards to the fact that we all train and we all, and a lot of us now cross train and we do all kinds of different training, but are we specifically training for those specific scenarios? And if we are, then how can we possibly expect 
them to cross over into various environments. So as you said there, um, when you're talking about, say, a competitive sport fighter, then it's, it's accepted. So if you've got a BJJ guy or a Nogi grappler guy, you, it's accceptive that if you put him in a boxing ring, he's going to get his bell rung. Mm-hmm. In the same way that if you take a boxer and you, 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 you stick him in an MMA cage, you know, almost certainly even a mid-level MMA guy is, 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 is going to win that sort of com- um, that competition. So um, when we look at it like that and we say, well, okay, what are we actually doing? And this is where it gets really interesting for me because most arts have a variation on self-defense and especially defense against things like knives. Mm-hmm. But what I find interesting is where they cross over, where the tally over is. And the reason I say that is because when you look at the flip side of the coin, so when you look at knife work itself and actually people using knives as weapons, there are fundamentals that are consistent throughout. So you've got completely different people from completely different cultures and geographical locations, um, you know, different continents before we had global travel and things, and they had come to the same conclusions. Why? Because they've spent thousands of years killing one another. And, you know, it's basically, did you come back from the battle? Yes. Okay, well, it worked. We'll do it again. Um, It's that straightforward, you know. And so there's there's there are fundamental principles that are that are universal throughout, and the same applies with regards to defense. Now, this is where I find it interesting because when you look at all the different arts, they'll all have a hundred different ways of doing something, but there's only really one or two overlaps, and it's those one or two overlaps that I personally am trying to seek out because that for me is where the the essence of what we're trying to achieve lives. I agree. You know, and I would always count myself as a principles-based instructor. Once I heard that term, I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the only thing really that gets you from the base level of if somebody attacks you with A, then you use defense Z or, or you know, the database try to review, which is, it just doesn't function. It won't, you can't think that fast when, when you are under, under attack. And so, but the principles are programmable into your subconscious mind and there and into your body um and that's where i think a really effective uh, performance comes from um yeah. you know and and i wanted to just jump back and address one thing and that is the idea that you not you specifically but anybody looks at um surviving a deadly encounter the same way that they would look at boxer a is going to fight boxer b which one's a better boxer which one's going to win and, you know, if you took two boxers, one of which is pretty notably more experienced than the other, you'd probably say yeah, nine out of 10 times that a more experienced boxer is going to win. I have yet to find anybody with real experience with knives or exposure to these deadly encounters that would say the uh, somebody who's really experienced with dealing with knife attacks will surely come out from a knife attack and prevail or even just survive. They, all of them say that almost exactly the same thing. I'm pretty confident with what I know how to do, but I do not want to get into a knife fight. I absolutely, as confident as I am, I want to have nothing to do with it if I absolutely can avoid it. And they will also say the same thing. The knife is such an advantage that even somebody with almost no training and nothing but intent 
can overcome a highly skilled martial artist. Like that's the reality. And I feel like within the Aikido realm, a lot of the stuff that we've seen for, from what is normally considered knife technique or, or weapon disarming technique or, or, or reversals, whatever you want to call it, are so delusional that you'd be committing suicide to try any of that against somebody with a knife with even a mild amount of intent. Um, yeah. And that's, that's I guess, the, the concern part. But, you know, what replaces that is is the reality of, you know, if you if you are get into a knife attack, you do have to do everything right. You can still lose, but if you don't, you're in real trouble right off the right from the get go. And um, and I, I think that this is a profound part of of taking on the how we train against a knife attack, not just in having our attackers be non-cooperative or, or not follow just a strict set of choreographed kind of nonsense attacks like deep lunges and, and things like that but also in the mindset of of you, you can't play with your food here you have to take care of business and get this done you know immediately and and that really does eliminate quite a bit of of complicated martial art technique and and i think every, almost every art indulges a little bit in playing with their food uh because it's fun you know but the, when that knife comes out or you feel like this is a deadly encounter, the mindset part, I think, is a huge thing of how, do you, how does that change? Um, well, I think a very easy way to explain that and just to sort of frame that in a way where it's concise is that um, essentially we all want to be the hero in our own story, right? Yep. So if we train to fail every single time, you're going to have an empty club. So mm -hmm. it, it's that simple. You know, you have to you have to allow the people to um, to win, for want of a better word, to, to, to win uh, at least um, a certain amount of the time. And so it's that's really where it starts to get interesting because if you just took students and you they just repeatedly failed consistently over and over again without having any kind of positivity, then you're not going to have a club for very long. And sure. so there's that, there's, there's that aspect to it in the sense that we've got to, um, you know, we want to be the hero in our own story. Fundamental. That's just a, a basic sort of thing that we all want to achieve. Um, but we've got to weigh that up with, as you say, the reality of the situation. And the truth is that it doesn't take anybody with a great deal of skill to do serious damage with a, you know, with an edge weapon or a knife. And that, unfortunately, is one of the core fundamental things that I find, not just with weapons, but across the board. Um, and I find this quite interesting because it's a strange dynamic. And that is that I've spent an awful lot of years working in security, right? And a lot of that time has been spent around non-martial artists. However, these non-martial artists are incredibly physically capable. Mm -hmm. right? um, and they, they, to be fair, for the most part, would, would give the majority of martial artists more than a run for their money. Let's put it like that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, and that's where I find that quite interesting because, again, we seem to be having this conversation in and around it where, as you pointed out, that, you know, if we if we train for X amount of time in knife defense, we seem to think that that's going to actually make a difference in the moment. And for the most part, it won't. And, and I know that there are people that will kick back on that and say, well, that's ridiculous. Of course, you know, of course, it's going to make a difference. And it's like, OK, let me just take something very, very simple 
and say to you, as, as you pointed out there, um, some of your Aikido movement is, how should we say, doomed to failure from the start. Mm -hmm. So you can practice that for 10 years, right? All you're doing is perfecting failure. That's really fundamentally what I'm trying to say with that. And so, um, I mean, I don't have all the answers. Of course, nobody does. And I find it incredibly interesting having these conversations because sure. all it really does is opens up more questions, which is great. That's, that's what we love. But the questions need to be asked in an honest kind of way. And so when we, when we actually sort of look at that and, we, and we're talking about sort of knife defense, we've got to we've really got to ask ourselves, well, from the mental side of it, from the, from the psychological side of it, where are we? Where do we sit within that? You know, could you stab somebody if you needed to? Could I stab somebody if I needed to? Could we face an opponent that was hell bent on causing us or our loved ones serious physical injury, maybe even death? You know, that's really, that's really the training and that's really where, what we need to overcome because the physical is only really a small part of it in my particular opinion sure yeah and i and i agree with you all fighting and all combat really is about 80 percent mental it, it's beyond the physical realm and and i think a lot of martial artists dwell so deeply in the physical realm that it's transitioning into the mental part is difficult and i think just like you said with not maybe not having the answers, but ask trying to ask the right questions. One of the questions that come to me is, how do we how do we find the right formula? Because I liked how you put it: practicing failure. We don't want to practice the wrong formula, and wind up finding out the hard way that it was a recipe for failure. So when I de deconstruct it, I want to look at all right. Well, what is if that's a bad formula? What's a good formula? And this comes back to what is simple, direct. Um, and of course, there are many arts that have, uh, every martial art has got some great stuff in it. And that's mm -hmm. where I, you know, I like to kind of pick and choose and steal what is the most direct, simple, effective, reliable, low risk, but high reward methods for, for coming up with that good formula. And, and the only thing that would, re that would restrict me from not taking it from other arts would be ego or pride to say, well, my, the art I do uh, is better, so I don't need to look outside of it. And to me, that is just a total garbage attitude. Um, there's so much good stuff out there. Why would you let your own ego or your own pride stop you from growing? And, you know, maybe there's, a, there's you know, maybe we're at a time in martial arts where the subdivisions and each individual separate art that does its own kind of thing is the wrong approach. We need to just look at the physical conflict and how to master that. If you think about it, you know, there's, like you said, uh, you know, areas that have done knife fighting, you know, that that's their specialty. That's what they do. And, you know, they're different, but uh, the fundamentals of, of hoplology of the human con physical human conflict are i think are universal and the more i see principles echoed in different realms to me the more fundamental that principle is when it's mm -hmm. only used in one then that's not really a universal principle it's specialized to that particular art or that that study um but i do like the study of fundamental principles i mean whether you're talking philosophy you know when they would call it first principles 
but it's still the same, you know, regardless. Um, science is built on fundamental provable principles. Yeah. Um, so I think there's where we see that echoed in, in other realms. Um, but, but I think you're right. I think the mindset is, is difficult. In fact, just today I was working with uh, some students and we're getting into repeated attacks, being able to deal with somebody relentlessly coming at you time and time again. And I'm starting with a student who's pretty new, so that you know, just kind of getting their feet feet wet with it. And as I introduced this to them, uh, to them, uh, they said, "Yeah, I feel a little uncomfortable with this." And I said, "Exactly. That's the goal of martial arts training: is to take you right to your comfort level and go a little bit beyond it. Because if you're training in your comfort level or, or under it, well, then you're just kind of kicking around and and relaxing and enjoying yourself." But if you push yourself a little bit to be a little bit anxious, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to figure it out. That's when you're growing and, you know, knives and deadly weapons really put you right in that zone very quickly, I think. And you can feel a little bit of that mindset of you're training under that stress of, oh boy, I don't want to be cut or I don't want to have that knife touching me. Um, and that's a good thing. It's, it, it, it gets you into that growth zone um, for think, the stress. Yeah, a big part of martial arts is that stress inoculation training where you get used to being in stress. You handle, you learn to handle it. Yeah, well, that's one of the uh, that's one of the most sort of under discussed facts about these kind of things is when you talk about the stress, when you talk about the adrenaline dump, when you talk about the the, the, the just the overload. Um, that you know that's that's very very real and hugely mm. powerful, and that that absolute dump i've actually you know i've seen it several times in people i've seen it in high level martial artists and um you know i've i've seen them come completely unstuck you put those guys in a ring and they would dance all over them mm -hmm. but the arena was different and the build up was different and the psych psychology behind it was different and they just couldn't get a grip you know psychologically they just couldn't get a handhold into anything that was familiar and because of that, they couldn't access the physical skills that they trained so long for. And that's not across the board. That's not to say everybody's like that. But that is something, as you rightly say there, that side of it needs to be really highlighted, I feel. that, And it's something that I talk about an awful lot when I'm talking to people like this. And I say to people, look, whenever you're learning any kind of self-defense, regardless, weapons, whatever, whether it's women's self-defense, it doesn't make a difference, right? One of the fundamental factors that you need to overcome is that psychological aspect of yourself and what's going to happen. Um, because that is the very first barrier. The amount of people that won't actually throw a punch, they'll hit a pad and they'll hit a, you know, one of those people in a predator suit and all the rest of it because, hey, they've spent all day building up to that. It's actually an exciting thing. I'm looking forward to it. You know, if you put me, meaning very serious harm, in front of that person at 3 a.m. down a dark alley, all of a sudden that you know that 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 pad striking mentality has gone completely mm -hmm. and that's really one of the things that we're sort of that we've got to figure out how to acknowledge how to address and how to harness and that's you know again i for me that's one of the big challenges for any kind of reality based again i'm not sure i like that word but for any kind of training that's going to help us under duress we have to involve that kind of elements into the training. The question is, how do we do that? Sure. 
Well, and I, I think one big measure, measure too, and this is where, where a lot of martial artists, they like to succeed. They enjoy doing good reps and they rather hate when it doesn't go right. Like, and there's a phrase they use in the military, embrace the suck, embrace the idea that you're going to fail because that's when you learn. And, you know, anybody that does grappling, they say, yep, yeah, I get tapped out all the time or jujitsu or, you know, the real martial artists are, they, they actually like that. They like the, here is my deficiency and I'm going to purge myself of it. And it's going to take me some time. I'm going to work on how not to get kicked, not to get guillotined, not to get in these vulnerable positions. You get used to that. And it, you shouldn't, obviously, if you were doing knife training, you're not going to celebrate yourself getting stabbed. But when you get, you keep getting stabbed with the same thing and you figure out how to foil it and stop it, and of course, then you move to the next thing where you get stabbed another way or cut another way. And you know, I got to figure this out. That's the process of getting to the point of having the best chance, not being able to count on surviving or prevailing in, the, in a knife attack, but having your best chance of surviving it. And that's another, I guess, reality point of, you know, you get into a, a, a deadly encounter and you, the, all your training there is to do is give your best chance of survival it's not going to be a guarantee. And I, and I think, and I've fallen into this too. I love doing good reps and I, I don't like uh, making mistakes. You know, that was something I had to get over. And the more I trained, the more I realized if I'm just doing a bunch of really good reps and I've got maybe, you know, my training partners letting me get away with it. It feels good for the moment, but it's not nourishing. It doesn't build you. And I found like, I want, and I will tell my UKs this, try to destroy my technique. I want you to do it, figure out a creative way, make my technique not work because that's the adaptability I want to have in my own martial art. And it's regardless of what I'm training, whether I'm doing wrestling, grappling, uh, punching, like with pugilism or boxing, anything like show me the worst. Cause I want to be, I want to train against the, the most challenging because when you take on training in that way and you can make what you train more terrifying and probably more uh, dangerous than what you might face in real life, by the time real life happens, that real attack happens, you, you're well prepared for it or as prepared as you can be. But when your training gets lazy, when you just like feeling good about it, you're really wasting your time, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you I think you hit the nail on the head earlier on when you talked about the the the, the compliance aspect and the non-compliance aspect. I think we all have to begin at the start. And so, um, you know, if somebody's showing a technique, if somebody's demonstrating how something is done and breaking down the mechanics of it, absolutely fine. But once you've got through that threshold and you understand the mechanics of the movement, then there has to be elements of non-compliance that are built up over time to make that to make that something that's embedded and can work under under stress to to a degree um so i you know i i, I fully agree with you with regards to that it's got to be it, it's got to be drilled in a way where it is it is against more and more resistance sure you know and, and i think with the knife like mint most of the other techniques that, that we all train we often will talk about pressure testing or about how do, how do we explore this and and a lot of times people will get an impression like well, I just need to tell my UK to go 100% gangbusters and, and like that's what pressure testing is. And, I, and that shows to me that somebody has really, they're only imagining what, what pressure testing is. They've never really done it that way. 
Yeah. And I really want to cover this uh, with if the, the seminar, uh, I shouldn't say seminar, the workshop that we're doing, going to come up here and hopefully in, in September is I want to bring in a constructive and productive way of, of dealing with pressure testing that is not a safety risk, but it allows you to find the deficiencies. And that is to come in in a gradual scale. And it can be done with a knife. Uh, I've, I've learned this in, in, by mentors that have shown me about knife work is you don't need to have 100% intensity to realize what you're doing is not going to be productive. Imagine taking your knife and going at 25% speed. I give you a, a knife analog and not a real knife. And just you do the exact same thing you do at 100% speed and you do it at 25% speed. And I have to stay at 25% speed, but can I deal with your attack? And if it works, okay, well, maybe let's try 50%. And now it starts breaking down. Well, I don't need to go to 80 or 100% to realize if it doesn't work at 50, it ain't going to work at 100. So, but this exploration is an, a, a necessary one. But just playing along with choreography is, is not going to do it. Um, even doing 100% speed choreography. And that's, that tends to be what I, I call demo martial arts or demonstration arts, where you get so used to the choreography that you can make it look exciting by going 100% speed, but it's very choreographed. Like that's meant for movies. That's not meant for real, real life yeah. violence. Um, and, and I think that's a, that's a big distinction. There's because on a movie screen, fancy looks great, you know, it, and full speed fancy is just, I mean, it's, it's eye candy. Um, yeah. but eye candy won't save your skin <laughs> as you know, in a bathroom or, uh, you know, in a well, real encounter. Well, I bring, I bring this back to, um, years and years ago when I was, uh, when I, when I was doing a lot of uh, traditional karate stuff and when we was talking about sparring, and I remember the instructors at the time saying that actually the most dangerous point of sparring for people is, is roundabout green belt. Why? Because they've got a little bit of technique and they're gung-ho and they want to get stuck in, but they're unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And that is really what we're talking about here, because when you're talking about choreographed at 100% with your students that you've practiced, it's predictable. And it's that unpredictability is what makes it so dangerous, especially from people that either haven't trained or have trained in things other than what we train in, because the movement is different. Right. And right. that was that fundamentally was one of the very first things that I learned when I started working on the doors and things. And when I started working in security, that was a huge shock to my system. Why weren't they all punching in the proper way? You know, I mean, come on, let's, you know, sort it out with your stance. Um, yeah. <laughs> and straight away, that was a complete revelation because, and again, I'm not, this isn't dismissing anybody, by the way, or any system or anything, because that's not what this is about. But what I found was those pre-described blocks that I had to do the same as the five foot four guy next to me, bear in mind I'm six two, you know, at the exact angle in exactly the right space, they didn't, they didn't actually stop anything. Why? Because the punch wasn't coming at that traditional martial art angle. It was just being looped, you know, from wherever. Um, and, and so that unpredictability is something, again, that, that, that needs to be sort of looked at and worked on. And, um, and as you say, building the, the resistance up, building the pressure up, building that up is definitely the sensible way to go about it. And so it's, 
it's embedding that into the practice, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And so it's making sure that we understand that that's a requirement of, of any kind of hope to sort of come out the other end of these kind of things. So, I mean, what's interesting about it for me with regards to nitrofeds, because I don't, I, I didn't want to just say, you know, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, this is right. bad. Do you know what I mean? I, I, don't, I don't really want to do that. I'd rather talk about some constructive things as well. And I know that we will, because I know that's, that's the, in essence, what you actually want from these conversations. Absolutely. And so, and so for me, it's, it's interesting because whenever I'm discussing um, edge weapon stuff, and bear in mind, I do this both in a martial arts capacity and, a, and, and in a capacity where I go into education places like schools and, and groups and things like that. And I also do this in a business capacity where I teach security, you know, corporate people, frontline staff. So I'm coming at this from several different sort of angles. And fundamentally, there's, there's the, the very real legal aspects that need to be discussed. Mm -hmm. Then we've got to talk about the, the weapons themselves and the threats that they present. Then we've got to talk about the environment and the people and the threats they present, because all these things are different and they and they and they give you a different dynamic and then we've got to look about the you know the situation yourself and how you're um and how you're going to actually react and, and and behave in that situation and so for me there's a there's a hierarchy and so it's not just jump straight to my knife defense that i've practiced that's a bit like you know i i liken that to what what we call the green cross crowd here in the uk what we used to so i liken that to dealing with the car accident i'd much rather learn how to cross the road safely makes more sense to me right yeah. right so um and so all of these things come into the equation so you've got the legal aspect you've got the, the the different types of knives themselves all the different types of threats that are faced with that the different kinds of dynamic of how you would be faced with those sorts of things is it a threat you know is it is, is it a scared reaction um is it somebody that wants something is it to do damage is it to kill you know the, again these are different so as an example of that you've got um you, you've got gangs that quite freely roam about at the moment in some of our inner cities and they will as part of their initiation want to stab people in very specific ways hmm. so they're not trying to kill somebody but they're just trying to earn their badge Right. And so, you know, uh, having an awareness of all of these different types of elements, I think, is just as critical, if not more so, than a few physical skills. Sure. Well, maybe, yeah, we'll cover, let's, which of those topics would you like to cover next? Do we go with the, the legal one or the, or the, uh, I guess, the know your enemy, uh, if I put it in Sun Tzu's uh, vernacular? Um, yeah, well, I mean, there's, the legal aspect is interesting. Um, in the sense that, firstly, what I find is lots of people pay lip service, but may not actually know the realities of it and the legalities of it. Sure. Um, now, obviously, that's different for countries and places. And so th there's, there's, there's a lot of differences there. Here in the UK, we're very, very strict in lots of ways when it comes to weapons. Mm -hmm. um, but then on the other side of the coin, some would argue that we're very lax with regards to actually meeting out any kind of punishment to wrongdoers in lots of ways. And so, again, these things need to be looked at and weighed up. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. from the legal point of view, it's interesting because uh, there's a system out there and I'm not going to I'm not going to say what it is, 
but I was having a conversation with one of their top students in a in a in a in a bar the one day years ago, and they were discussing how it's common knowledge that they they perform certain actions in set pieces. So it's like um, you know, like a one, two, three, four kind of scenario. A formula. Yeah. Or yeah. a pattern. And that's public knowledge. And so then we had a discussion where I said, you do realize if you performed set pattern ABCD, whatever it was, one, two, three, four, and did that on an aggressor and then ended up in court, the very first thing they're gonna to say to you is, that's a trained response. And by that reason, rationale, then it, then it falls outside of the parameters of reasonable, proportionate and necessary because it's a trained response. And you have followed a set pattern of movements that you probably didn't have to do. They, they're pre-prescribed. Mm -hmm. And so that was an interesting sort of conversation because we sort of threw that back and forth for a while. And it's an interesting way to look at that with regards, especially in this social media world. And again, I think the relevance of this is totally misrepresented by so many people. Slightly off tangent, I feel now, but this is something yeah, yeah. that's so relevant in this modern world. Sure. You know, cameras are everywhere. Smartphones are everywhere. People will whip out a camera in the first instance, right? All of these things are very relative now. But more importantly than that, what is it that we do as martial artists almost all of the time? When we're allowed to train, when we're allowed to get in a room with each other, when we're allowed to practice, we stick that stuff all over Facebook. We go, hey, look at me. You know, this is what I'm doing. This is me pretending to stab somebody and rip their throat out and poke them in the eye and stamp on their groin. Right. And we're actively showing the world that this is what we're practicing and doing. Mm -hmm. And from a legal standpoint, some of that is, you know, could end up being quite challenging if you find yourself having to, um, you know, having to defend your actions. Right. You know, with, when the, within the legal realm of our discussion, something that occurs to me, we always talk about in a self-defense situation, you always have to count that there could be multiple attackers. Mm. You think about it, the idea that the state or the government or police, they could be that other threat that you have to deal with in yeah, the absolutely. midst of your knife attack or your, your deadly assault that just happened. So, cause you have to protect yourself, not just from this guy trying to kill you, but from, you know, a, an authority that can ruin your life for the rest of your life over the actions that you are about to take. Uh, I think that that's, that's important. You know, we, one of the things that drives me crazy is the, that old phrase, well, better be better to be tried by 12 than carried by six. The implication that, you know, the shoot them first and ask questions later kind of, kind of approach. And yeah. to me, that sort of says you don't have the control to discern the, the amount of force or violence that you impose and that you automatically justify if the exchange between me and my attacker is such that I feel like I'm, my life is being threatened. I have complete license to, to just absolutely kill them. If, you know, and maybe that is, might be necessary, but chances are it isn't. Um, I know there are many cases here in the U S and I'm sure that's the same in the UK and, and other places too, where, in the blink of an eye, literally in a, in a split second, self-defense can go from justified, the justified use of deadly force to unjustified. Well, in the span of a, of a fight, that that instant can go by so fast, you don't even realize what just happened. Um, and I'm referring to 
instances where you know somebody's assaulted, their their assailant has a deadly weapon, and something happens, like they get pushed to the ground or they they aren't an immediate threat, and the person in a state of total fear, probably an adrenaline dump, probably angry, probably unleashed their that Neanderthal man that just says, no, I'm not going to let you kill me, and then kicks the, the, the assailant in the head, and now he's deemed guilty of assault because he went, once the threat was over, he kept participating. And that can be that runoff part of the psychology that we talked about earlier, is you slip into that mindset of, oh my God, I'm, I'm dealing with a deadly animal here. And you, uh, and it's very natural. This happens all, all the time when it comes to these deadly encounters, what happens to your mind. And you can over over respond. You can go beyond proportional response. And I think it's frankly a little harsh for courts or juries or whoever winds up issuing judgment to not appreciate just how terrifying it is to have your life threatened. I, I you know, obviously Unless. case by case is all different, but it's hard to come down on somebody that is fighting for their life and to say, well, you went a little too far. Yeah. You know, well, there's, I mean, there are, there, there are three main points to that. Point number yeah. one is that when you talk about people making a decision in the court of law, they, they talk about a, a selection of your peers. Mm -hmm. But peers translates to, you know, people of like. So, mm -hmm. that, but, but it's not going to be 12 martial arts experts in the jury. Right. That's not going to be. It's going to be Sandra the hairdresser from around the corner, you know, mm -hmm. that sort of thing, who's probably never really faced violence in their life. The, the nearest they've got to that is watching Harrison Ford do his Indiana Jones spiel, you know, and mm -hmm. and their understanding of violence is based around television violence. It's based around movie violence. And, and that's not the same thing at all. And so fundamentally, that that situation is is a really difficult one because you're absolutely right. You're being judged by people that don't understand how that actually works in that moment and, and what happens in your head and your body and everything else. Um, secondly. And this I find extraordinary um, is that the, the people that say that that particular phrase better to be judged by you know 12 and carried by six kind of thing. It makes no sense to me because how can taking something further than you need to take it to the point where you end up going to prison, leaving your family exposed alone with no money for however long you, you, you get sentenced for. How is that good self-defense? You know, the logic of that baffles me beyond measure. Um, <laughs> me too, me too. But we, we basically, there are three fights to every fight, right? This is how I explain this. There are three fights to every fight, okay? There's the, the build-up, which is the psychological fight and all the rest of it, right? So we've talked about some of that. There's the physical fight. Now, with training, the idea is that that part takes care of itself. Um, the idea is that you, you just sort of go into whatever it is you know well and you come out of it the other end. That's the idea. The third fight is the aftermath. Now, whether that be legal or whether that be repercussions or whatever that may be. Medical. The problem, the, yeah, any or all. Yeah. The, the problem is, is when you try to have a fight in the wrong order. So what I mean by that is if I'm in the second fight, I can't be thinking about the third fight mm -hmm. because I may lose the second fight worrying about the repercussions of the third fight. Mm -hmm. um, and so there is that real sort of balancing act between that mentality of you know, carried by six, judged by 12 kind of deal and doing what you need to do to survive without 
overthinking it or second guessing it. So it's it's a hard it's a hard line to to walk, isn't it? Truth be told, it, it is, and it has profound impact on how we train the physical part, and and maybe that bridges us into the next subject. I mean, we could certainly get deep into the legal aspects, but because everybody's in different jurisdictions, the the laws are so different. You know, country to country here in the U.S., even state to state or city to city are, are, are quite drastically different. And, you know, of course, we want to do the standard. We're not giving any legal advice. But uh, I think the, the, how, it, how it affects your training in the physical, like what are your rules of engagement for dealing with a knife? One of the big ones uh, that, that I came along that I really like is get a bigger weapon. First thing you should do is, A, get, get away from that knife if you can but get something bigger in your hand that they have to come past in order to get to you. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a big fan of chairs, you know, yeah, it's absolutely. not, yeah. it's not a, a pretty weapon or an elegant one, but if you're going to try to keep somebody from stabbing you, it's a great obstacle to put in the way, um, mm. you know, and, and, but to have that mindset as you, as you train, of course, when we go into our training, we say, well, what if you don't have anything now you got to deal with hand to hand. So we wind up training the, the empty hand part. But reinforcing the don't don't think about going to hand to hand over get away, get behind something, you know, get behind a door or close a door or grab a chair, grab a wastebasket or something solid. Um, all of those things need to be part of what we put in our mind as the, the program that runs when we are faced with that part. And to me, that 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 does come out in that in the physical realm when when we get on the mat and how do we reinforce these things? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's worth unpicking some of that because, um, again, when you look at that, I mean, we work on similar veins, right? In the sense that there's, we, I have what I call an action hierarchy when it comes to edge weapons. And so run is the very first thing. You know, if you can escape, escape, right? Pride, forget that, live fight another day, all the rest of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, secondly, uh, barriers, environment. If you can get behind a car or a hedge or a tree, whatever, do, you know, and put something between you, right? Mm -hmm. Then we start talking about weapons of opportunity including things like chairs and stuff because you're right i mean being honest with you if you said to me we're going to have a fight you can have a knife or a chair i'd actually pick the chair out of choice absolutely because yeah. it's a better choice um so so yeah so we're similar in those ways but we've got to really have a look at this whole we'll just run right because it's an interesting point so you have a camp that says well run that's all you need to do just run you don't need anything else run okay mm -hmm. My response to that is, well, actually, there, 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 may be there may be times when that's not something that you can do. Absolutely right? true. If I'm pushing my two-year-old toddler in a pushchair down through the park and suddenly a knife-wielding maniac jumps out, I'm not exactly just going to be like, well, see ya, and leg it off through the bushes, you know. Right. The same with an elderly grandparent, so on and so forth. And so we've got to look at that and we've got to say, well, are we going to be better off by running? You know, do we know where we're running to? Is it going to be safer or actually is it going to be worse? Mm -hmm. you know, are we going to have any energy left to fight once we cornered if we have to? Can I outrun the person? Mm -hmm. You know, we've got to admit that in the nicest possible way, we're not getting any younger. Mm -hmm. And if you've got some 20 year old guy that's very, very fit and active, there's a good chance they're going to be able to run for longer than I can run. Mm -hmm. Truth be told these days. Right. And so do I, you know, do I really want to take that action? Because when when we finally do get to the point where i have to do something physical i've just expended all my energy mm -hmm. and so there's there's all these aspects of it which and now you might be in an environment that wasn't as good as the one that you just came from 
now you're cornered. You're you're in somewhere nobody can see you and nobody can find you. And now it's yeah, worse. No, yeah, yeah. And there was a story that I was told a while ago when we were talking about this. And again, I found it interesting because um, basically the premise was, well, of course, if they just want something from you, give it to them. You can always replace money, what have you. And again, it was like, okay, well, as a stock response, that's great because it's absolutely true, you know, in theory. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, the, then, the, then the, the, the dynamic was changed just a little bit. And I was told a story about these two guys. They were out in the middle of the desert, right? They were at least four days away from any kind of people. And they only had three and a half days water. And that was if they rationed it. Anyway, um, a couple of local bandits appeared, demanded all their stuff from them, you know, with threats of violence. And they ended up fighting their way out of it. And the reason that they did that was because they would have just suffered a long and slow death over a couple of days if they'd have given up the water that they had. And so it was actually, it's more complicated than just running away. That stock response is a good response as long as it fits the problem. Right. That, and that I'm glad you brought that up because it drives me crazy with just about any answer that says, well, self-defense is as simple as fill in the blank. Yeah. And yeah. that's a that's a common one. Run away. Um, I even saw a, uh, what was it? The Penn and Teller did a show on on martial arts on self defense about. I'll just give them my wallet if they want. I just give it away. No, you know, I'll spend a lot more than I ever carry in my wallet on self defense classes. Why would I even do it? I just give my wallet. Would the same thing hold true for you know? Would you tell your wife the same thing for being raped or being beaten or you know the yeah. the ugly part of violence is not just the caricature of somebody wants to mug you and, and take your money. If that was all self-defense was, or that's all violence was, there would be no, no martial arts. There'd be no self-defense. Just don't carry any money or, or hand them your credit card. Yeah. Um, but, but again, and that's, that's, that's that overly simplistic view that you describe. It, it drives me crazy because yeah. violence is not that simple because human interaction is not that simple. There are always other factors going on that, that limit your strategic choices. Um, and that is a very valid point that you just said there with regards to, again, what, what we tend to do is we tend, as martial artists, we tend to sanitize violence and practice the type of violence that we like practicing. Mm -hmm. um, very, very rare will you actually, you know, look at some of the worst types of violence that are happening every day all around us. Mm -hmm. And those are the types of violence really that we do need to be addressing. So you're absolutely right when you say that, but then how do you, how do you incorporate that into into what we do safely and in right. a way that's not going to discourage people practicing? Well, I, th I think uh, getting, I mean, how do we do that on the mat? Uh, that's a little trickier. I think one of the things, and I, I love this phrase by, by Sun Tzu, it says, if you know yourself and know your enemy, and in a hundred battles, you will not be in peril. We martial artists tend to spend a lot of time studying ourselves. We study ourselves, our art, and we kind of overlook the enemy. And the, um, by the enemy, it's, you know, an attacker or, or somebody else, you know, in a negotiation, it would be the other person you're negotiating with. But if you realize that with basic psychology, and I love the psychology topic we talked about earlier, but this now comes into what is the psychology of the person who is imposing on me? They're mugging me. What happens when I cough up my money real easy? And they go, oh, this was easy. Uh, strip, you know, take your clothes off or give me all your, your jewelry. I want more. If this was easy, I'm going to take some more. You know, if you're this much of a pushover, what else can I get? How about you get in my van, get in the trunk? 
you know, and this is how I think there's a there's even a, a moral question of do you reward this kind of behavior by complying with it? And you know, there are many instances of of these violent exchanges that go horribly wrong because somebody is is compliant. This okay, I'll get in the car, and what happens then? You know, yeah. it, it's it gets horrific and beyond just well, it's, this is just your wallet that you're going to lose or your car keys or you know uh, that sort of thing. And um, I, life is too complex to have it be well. The solution is just this simple: just give it up. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. you can't. Um, there's no guarantee safety. That's right. That's unfortunately, yeah. so um, yeah, it's it, it is that. But I mean, that's part of the complexity of it, isn't it? The, that's that's the that's the irony of this conversation is that the physical is as simple as you can possibly make it. Mm -hmm. Everything else is where the complexity lives. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Spend all this time on the physical, yeah. and we virtually ignore everything else. Mm -hmm. And that's that is that is the real interesting thing around this conversation is the thing that we should be focusing on. For the most part, we tend to ignore. Right. Well, com comprehending the big picture and how some of the things that are in the areas in the other part of the picture, how important they are. But if you overlook them, it can be disastrous. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, maybe this can bridge us into the into the equipment and and because I know a lot of people will ask themselves or or if considered carrying a knife for quote unquote self-defense or some other kind of a weapon. Uh, I know over here in the US, uh, a lot of people have uh, carry firearms or a pistol uh, to defend themselves. And, and I certainly don't criticize them for, for that or, or anybody, your individual choice of what you wanna do to protect yourself is your responsibility. And I think that there are, there are many deep considerations for, for doing that. Um, and I'd put them legal as, as one of them. Uh, one of the nuggets that I, I found back in the day was at least, I don't know, I'd imagine the numbers are pretty similar, but at least here in the US, about 5% or less of violent encounters have a justified use of deadly force attached to them. That is, you know, if you pull out a gun and shoot them, you would, you have a chance of being justified in doing so from a legal standpoint. That means what do you do for the other 95%? Mm -hmm. And if the, you know, the, I love the old, the, the saying of, uh, you know, when all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. Well, what happens when somebody gets up in your face, starts shoving you, you know, he's not armed. Are you going to shoot him, pull him out pull out a gun? And, and that's kind of all you need, all you know how to do. And I think the same thing reflects on carrying a knife. Um, we had a bit of a discussion last week on the the uh, the Marshall side about, you know, I made the statement that a knife is not a, a defensive tool, and I don't use the term weapon, although you could. But and somebody challenged that and said, well, what do you what do you mean? What are you talking about by that? I said, okay, well, I tell you what, you know, give give me a stick and you have a knife, and now you stop me from hitting you. Like the knife is a purely offensive tool. All really it can do is cut and stab and destroy. And, and a firearm is, is the same way. So within that context, now your self-defense strategy is really not defensive. It's all offensive. And this is something that touches not, not just on the legal uh, realm, but also on the moral realm. And there are people that have, have gone through and, and had to harm other people 
and have gone through severe psychological problems related with either killing or causing serious harm to somebody else. Like, and you said it earlier, do you, know, do you have the wherewithal to stab or cut somebody or shoot them or you know, whatever? And you could say the same thing of breaking their neck with your bare hands or you know, dropping them on their head and, and breaking their spine or whatever. Um, personally, I would rather not get to that point where I have to deal with that psychological impact of causing that much harm to somebody. Um, that's not to say that I've never carried a knife or carried a pistol, but, uh, there's, there's a lot of serious implication and responsibility that goes with that. Um, you know, no, I don't want to be charged by the, by the state and, and, you know, sent up the river for, for over responding to a violent situation. You know, that's a factor, but I do realize there are some, some violent exchanges that are so bad that you'd rather not be unarmed in them. So I don't think there's any real clear answer in, in the environment that somebody's in. Things are, are different. I don't live in a, in a tough part of town, although I am in Minneapolis and uh, we've had some problems here in the last year with the rioting and the looting and, and uh, carjacking has increased over 300%. Um, so, I mean, the world's always changing, but um, you know, it's up to each person to decide what the best way to go about things are but to consider those tools like and, and and it was really enlightening to me when i learned and had that clarity of all right what is a tool is it offensive is it defensive can it do what can it do and what can't it do and yeah. the idea of defending myself with a knife against somebody you know i was like well, i really only have one thing i can do with this knife or really two if you count stabbing and cutting as two different things um, I like how many options I have with the empty hand, but against somebody with a knife, I'd rather not have empty hands. I'd rather have something solid that I can, that I can deal with them. And if you were, if you had a knife, like you said earlier, and I couldn't put it any better, I wouldn't want a knife. I'd rather have a chair. Uh, another one of my favorite is a, a, a cane, a walking stick. You can do a lot with a walking stick, including controlling people. Um, but I want something with better range and and stopping power that can I can use to defend myself. But, and even just a bigger knife is not gonna be a defense weapon either. No, no, for the most part, no, you're absolutely right. And you're, you know, when you talk about the fact that they purely is an offensive, they're a defensive weapon or tool. Um, it's actually interesting because if you had a knife and I had a knife, it's very hard for either of us to use that defensively Mm-hmm. So even it's at that 100% level, percent offense against a hundred percent offense. Yeah, even at that level, it just doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I mean, that that then really sort of brings us to the to the next sort of uh, point that that I mentioned earlier on, which is which is regards the, the 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 tools themselves, the weapons themselves. So the edge weapons. So whether that be a screwdriver, a syringe, a broken glass, um, or or a knife of varying degrees. Whichever one of those things it is, they will have their own characteristics and capabilities. And they will then dictate as to how we go about responding to that. So if somebody, as an example, has a box cutter, Stanley knife type thing, that's, that is a different threat than a syringe. That's a different threat than a large kitchen knife. That's a different threat to a, um, an old... Fairbairn Sykes um, commando dagger that's that's designed for 
for stabbing motions. You know, there are, there are cutting weapons, there are stabbing weapons there. And so each of those presents a different threat and a different conversation. And so we need to understand that as well. And we need to take all of those things into account. And again, when we're talking about threat assessments, when we're talking about risk assessments, when we're talking about going into various places and, and having to deal with certain things, then again, we want to know about these kind of things. So as an example of that, um, there are certain parts of the world where carrying, you know, knives, big knives, um, machete kind of knives is absolutely commonplace. Mm -hmm. And there are also parts of the UK here, as an example, where people carrying Stanley knives or the box cutters is very, very commonplace. Mm -hmm. And those things, you know, they're, as you rightly said, you, you ideally want to know that those are a possibility before they become a reality because they are that quick. They are that small. They are that, you know, that that's the kind of thing that you just don't see happening until it's happened. Um, years ago when I was working, there was a space around Bristol where people would go past and slash the, the backside of people. So the tops of the legs and the butt cheeks. Oh, okay. Nightclubs, and they would just walk past them with these Stanley knives. And because they're so sharp, you wouldn't really feel it initially. Right. It, it'd be like this little bit of delay. And these guys would be doing this for fun. And they and they would literally just cut people as they walk past and then wander off. And wow. for whatever reason, don't ask me, I don't know. I mean, the mentality of that is beyond me. But mm -hmm. that was just one thing that was happening. And so understanding all of that is also very much part of any kind of defense that we should be talking about or looking at. So when we talk about edge weapon defense, we should be looking at that as a whole, you know, and do people understand the differences? Do people know what the capabilities are with these things, you know, how they cut, how they stab? Um, do they know if, if it can cut on the, on the withdrawal or can it only cut on the stab? And all these kind of things come into play because, you know, knowing that stuff is going to be the difference between surviving from a cross block or not. You know, <laughs> if we yeah. can, let's be, you know, again, it's, it's, we can't just have a generic one size fits all physical response mm -hmm. when the the implements and the tools are different. So that's something else on another level again that I think um, people should really sort of look into. And the information is out there. Mm -hmm. And this isn't me selling myself, by the way. But I mean, I, you know, I have ebooks out there that people can have for free that, that discuss all of this at length that people can just have. It's no problem. I want that in the world. I want people to have that knowledge. Um, and, and I'm sure that you do similar and lots of other people do the same thing. So the information is there to find. And, yeah. Um, and I'll put a link to that stuff in the, in the show notes for this episode, because I think people would be interested in that. Uh, yeah. One of the things years ago, I had a friend of mine, uh, an instructor with real life experience with knives and, and whatnot. He came up and, and did a, we called it a knife 101 uh, seminar where I built analogs. We actually took all kinds of knives. We had people bring in knives of every type, whether it's stuff they carried. Uh, we brought in kitchen knives, um, just about any cutting implement you could imagine and put actual clothing on them. So it's one thing to imagine what a knife would do through like a mm -hmm. denim jacket or a leather jacket or uh, even a hoodie, like what, you, you know, and then to do it and then to see what these knives, how they performed, how easy it is to cut through. Uh, and how easy it is to stab, how easy it is to miss. Uh, we did all kinds of live active drills to get a feel, not just imagine what it's like, but to try it out. And then we also did, uh, for anybody that's ever done done these, the, the, the white shirt marker drill, 
uh, where you you have you give basically somebody with intent a, a marker and say, all right, mark them up. And now we we had uh, not only uh, intermediate and advanced martial artists, but in full on instructors uh, able to see just all right. Well, test your well. Let's test your your technique against an active person. And it was safe because it was just markers. But you know, one of uh, one of my friends who's uh, who's an instructor, he says, I'm going to take this this shirt home and put it up on my wall as a reminder. You know, yeah. and, and not just I wouldn't say that he's anything but a legit martial arts instructor. I mean, he's really good and very talented. Yeah. Uh, but it was one of those reality things like doesn't matter how good you are. Things work differently when that high high level of intent is there. Uh, and, and to combine it with what you said earlier, and I wanted to jump in, but this is a good place for it, is that unpredictability combined with the intent is a very dangerous cocktail. Um, yes. And, you know, we didn't need to have super athletic attackers with those markers. You know, any average person that's just, uh, you know, juiced up to put a mark on that shirt. I mean, we had marks on necks and faces and pants, shirts, arms, everywhere, especially arms. I mean, those arms get marked up like crazy. Um, so, you know, these are, it's a good drill. I know we've talked about it on the, the Marshall side about, I think about a year or two ago that that marker drill thing came up and I think somebody actually filmed themselves doing it, which was great. I, you don't have to be a, a, you know, a very experienced martial artist to try that experiment. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I did actually put a, a video of, of some of my lot doing that where I, yeah, I remember that. Yep. And um, yeah, I, ju I just walked into the, the, the class and I had a load of those white paper suits. Mm -hmm. and I didn't tell them what was happening. I didn't I didn't I didn't give them any kind of acknowledgement of what was going to happen because I didn't want them to have that. I wanted it to be um, in that moment. And so stuck on the white suits. I said, right, that's it. Yeah, we're going to have at it. You're going to stab me. Off we go. Um, anything goes. And what was really interesting about that was I said anything goes and they all obeyed unspoken rules. Mm, yeah. Because they were in my dojo, my club, mm -hmm. and I was the sensei, I was the instructor. And so even though I said, have at it, do what you like, because, because it was just thrown at them completely out of the blue, it was messy, it was uncoordinated. Um, you know, lots of people got, as you rightly said, absolutely covered. Mm -hmm. But people were still obeying these unwritten rules. Nobody picked up a chair. Mm -hmm. Nobody just went, I'm going over there, mate. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, and so, yeah, it was really interesting as a little experiment. You know? mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, they're, they're great drills to do things like that because it does. The idea of it is to be, is to be critical without being cruel. So we're not trying to show anyone up or make right. anyone look stupid. Mm -hmm. The idea is to say, well, look, this is, this is the sort of the reality of it. And we all are going to get it wrong at an occasion, mm -hmm. you know? And so let's, let's see if we can plug some of those holes. And so absolutely. And, and an exercise like that, I, I think also builds a flexibility of mind and a flexibility of perspective. And if anything, uh, doing the same thing over and over again in a dojo environment, whether you're a senior student or an instructor, it's easy for us to, to unconsciously build inflexibility into our perspective. And that's something we always have to fight, always have to consider new perspectives and what we might be missing or assuming, you know, and we all know what the, the assuming uh, thing and make an ass of you and me when you assume. Um, but the idea that you try, try out something new 
and not just for the sake of novelty, but find find things that will lift your mindset a little bit. And and that's just to get back to when we started this conversation. That's why I like these conversations because people can sit around and listen. And if they get one thought out of this or one perspective, they go, you know, that's a good, good idea. Maybe I should think about that more. Maybe that will change the way that I train or approach my art, or I can improve. This is something that I've wanted to do, but now I can think about it. And now it will give me some inspiration to form my training. Uh, the idea that you, you have, have that your art is complete or that your knowledge of it is complete in my opinion, is is one of those things, it's like a fence you build around yourself that you can never, it's like your own cage. The only yeah. time you can kick the door open and get out is to go, I could learn more. There's other things out there that I can pick up and learn. And to me, that's what real growth is. And when we when we stop growing, we die, We're, we start dying. And, absolutely, uh, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, that's, I'm, I'm excited to work with you and and with you know the other instructors we have with the, the Aiki Budo Alliance that, that just got uh, announced and this seminar that we have coming up in the UK, I'm really looking forward to getting together and trying a, a new way to collaborate with each other where we can have a great healthy uh, gleaning of information. We can steal from one another um, and just enjoy the time. And we're going to have some very interesting subjects. And there's going to be more announced coming up this spring and summer with what specifically is coming. Um, and, and one of the ones that I, I want to include in there is that introducing people to how to pressure test in a productive and safe way that's very informative and will, but will build up confidence and, and get their students, even right from the beginning, comfortable with facing stress and being able to prevail. And I agree with you, you need successes along there and you provide them incrementally as you increase the level of stress and challenge. Um, so I'm really looking forward to coming over there. Is there anything else we should add to that? I don't, I want to kind of squeeze a little plug in there, but, uh, I know we've covered quite a bit of ground here with our, our conversation. I, I, like yourself, I'm really looking forward to, to getting back on the mats and, and you coming over and, 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 and the group itself as a whole is a really exciting sort of, uh, with possibilities. It's a, it's a great sort of idea because essentially nobody's dismissing traditional arts nobody is saying that they don't work what we're saying is what we can do is bring them into the modern age because the environment is different to how it was a thousand years ago and so you know that's we're not saying there's anything wrong with the the model as such we're saying the platform needs to be adjusted slightly to fit the modern age and and I, and I think that there's so many really interesting conversations in and around that. And there's such an incredible pool of knowledge from everyone involved as well. That's, that's really exciting. So very much looking forward to that myself and, and, and bouncing ideas off of everybody, you know? And so when we, but with regards to the, the weapon stuff that we're talking about now, the knife stuff specifically, something else that I would like to just quickly cover because sure. again, I think it's something that is often missed completely, right? And that is the medical implications. And that's the, 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 the actual fact that, firstly, how we react to being stabbed and the realities of what that looks like. But then also the, the fact of what would happen if we did that to somebody else, right? There's a, there's a, there's a famous guy over here, ex-gangster kind of guy called Dave Courtney, and he's a bit of a wide boy and all the rest of it. Uh, and he was known for having knuckle dusters. And he used to say that, 
only use the weapon you're prepared to do the time for. Um, and so when by knuckle dusters, are you talking about a dagger with the, with the brass knuckles built just into the brass them? knuckles themselves? Oh, it's just the brass knuckles. Okay. Yeah, brass okay. Knuckles. So yeah, he was known for carrying those. And, and he used to say, um, only carry the weapon you're prepared to do the time for. And so that's something else to bear in mind when it comes to knives is the fact that the, the damage that they can do is utterly incredible. And, and even when you're, you know, even when you don't mean to, that doesn't, that's not going to guarantee that harm isn't going to come, you know? So um, so that's really important. But also when we're looking at the physical responses to that, and this is something, again, I see quite a lot. So when we actually look at it fundamentally, right, if we look at boxing, what are we trying to protect? We're trying to protect the computer. We're trying to protect ourselves from getting knocked out. Yeah, that's that's our end goal, if you like, right, when it comes to the defensive aspects. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at edge weapons, what we're actually trying to protect is our vitals, mm -hmm. our main arteries and our vitals not our head so our stance should be different our movement should be different the way that we um the, the way that we actually do any physical kind of thing should be thought about differently because because it's different mm -hmm. and so fundamentally that's a that's a really interesting point and one of the drills that i do with people and i wanted to i wanted to put this in because i think it's great and i think anyone can do this and it's really really impactful okay firstly i talk about the the bleed out times. So if I cut a main artery, how long is it going to take for somebody to bleed out, right? And then, so we have a little conversation in and around that. And I, I let people sort of discuss it and throw out ideas. And essentially it's a very short amount of time, a few minutes at best, okay? And then I say, okay, right, all right. So um, who's first aider in the room? And they're like, well, you know, a couple of people, if it's a martial arts thing, a couple of people would be like, yeah. Mm -hmm. If it's a corporate thing, quite often there'll be a sign on the wall with a number to ring. Right. And I'll say, right, okay. Here's the deal then, okay, something's just happened. This guy's just been cut. There he is bleeding out on the floor. He's got three minutes left to live. The ambulance is 14 minutes away. That's if they hit their actual targets that they've been specified, which they very rarely do, by the way. Mm -hmm. So that means there's a deficit of 11 minutes. You've got to keep that person alive. Go find the first aid box and come back. But you've got to do it within three minutes flat because they'll be dead. And just little things like that, those reality things like that. And it takes all the romance out of the situation. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's a really, really powerful thing because instantly what you find is nine times out of 10, they can't accomplish that in the time frame. Right. And it's, uh, you know, it's a powerful little tool. And so it's something that I, it's something that I look to use with people because we want to discourage heroics um, before we actually look at any physical, because as we've already discussed, physical is the last resort and physical isn't promised. You know, there's no guarantees with that. And so we want to try and avoid that heroic mindset, that have a go kind of thing. Um, and so that's just one of the things that, um, that, you, can, that you can look to do. And we talk, I, I talk an awful lot about things like bleed out times, targets, um, incision depths, and all those kind of things, because most people actually don't really understand how fragile we are when it comes to edge weapons. Right. You know, most of us will take a good knock. Um, obviously, that goes with age. Our, excuse me, our, our physiology changes over age, especially if we compete regularly, especially if we compete in contact, and we, you know, we end up our, we we can't take a knock like we used to. And you see that with professional fighters all of the time. You know, Anderson Silva is a prime example. Chuck Liddell. You know, all these guys that were really known for it. They can't take punch anymore. Mm -hmm. 
And so when it comes to striking kind of stuff, we all think, okay, well, we can take a knock. Fair enough, right? And we're, we're quite resilient that way, you know, heavy skulls, all the rest of it. When it comes to Ed's weapons, actually, it's quite the opposite. We are incredibly vulnerable. And I think that's something that needs to be uh, given a lot more importance than it does in these conversations, I feel. Yeah, it's easy for people to think, oh, you know, a handgun or a pistol or a gun itself is so dangerous. And it, it almost takes away from appreciating how deadly a knife can be. Um, and, you know, I, I hate to say that you'd want to compare the two because both are, are dreadful. Uh, but a knife should not be underestimated, uh, especially for the fact that it doesn't run out of ammunition. Um, it just yeah. keeps going and, you know, it can hit a soft part. You know, there are many accounts of people being shot multiple times in the chest and they either keep going or they survive. Whereas a knife, you know, and one of the things with that seminar that my friend did, he brought up a bunch of photographs of knife wounds and they are terrifying to look at. Yeah. You know, we see a gash across somebody's back from the shoulder all the way down to the hip. You know, I mean, that's more visually dramatic than a, than a gunshot wound. Um, you know, granted, he survived it. It went over the rib cage, so it didn't cover any arteries or anything like that. But uh, for somebody that knows even a little bit about that knife, it's it's uh, it's it's, it's terrifying. Um, yeah. And so well, it should, should definitely be appreciated and yeah. and not um, dismissed or or taken lightly with you know either training that's lackluster that tends to think oh it's just this easy to to disarm somebody with a knife and um, you know, or whatnot. And, and I think one, one thing I want to cover, I guess, before we wrap up too, is many people often when they think of carrying a weapon, will think of using it as an intimidation tool. They think if I bring this weapon out and I show it, then somebody will, you know, will say, oh, back off or, or what have you. And there are accounts of, of that exact type of thing happening, but there are just as many accounts of having uh, the uh, having the person re respond and say, okay, now this is a deadly weapon, it's go time. And yeah. so it can be one of those binary, something big is going to happen, either it's going to solve your problem, or it's, it, it's going to make it bad. Um, you know, the, the, and there's no one formula answer to say, well, never, never pull a weapon and have anybody see it. Although that is a discipline. I've known people that, that are, you know, from very tough parts of the country uh, and they, they exist in a world like almost an underworld and they'll say, you know, somebody should never see a pistol. They should only ever feel it. And the same thing with a knife. And there are people like you, you were talking about earlier, they've never entered a dojo, never done any training, but they know these things. They've they're the, the real world has been their dojo. Um, yeah. you know, but yeah, I, I've also heard of, of women, for example, that have used in one case, a, a woman who had to pull a gun that she carried because somebody had been stalking her and been followed, leaving messages on her home phone and eventually confronted her after work at night, you know, in a parking ramp and she pulled a gun out. And, um, you know, he said what I guess is very common for assailants to tell women. It's like, you don't have the nerve to pull the trigger. And she, you know, over the, over his head, she, she fired around and then scared that dude off. And of course she immediately put it back in her purse, got in her, got in her car and called her firearm instructor and said, oh my God, she was shaking. Should I call the police? And, you know, he's like, well, did the guy run off or do you have any way to, to that he could, you could find out who he was? And, and she said, no. I said, well, I wouldn't call the police. You're just going to get in trouble. 
But after that, he never left another message on her phone machine. She never saw him again. Like, so you can't say that, that there wasn't, that it didn't necessarily solve a problem, but it's a blessing that she didn't have to shoot the guy. Um, Cause that would have been a, a horrendous mess. Um, well, that he didn't have a gun himself and bad intention because her actually shooting to miss, mm -hmm. you know, could have actually presented a situation where he fired back, but wasn't right. going to miss. Right. And, you know, he, he didn't have anything in his hands. And, and I guess this kind of comes around to what we were talking about in terms of assessing a situation before it is a, an armed confrontation. Like, look at the hands. Is there a knife on the belt, knife in the pocket? Is somebody hiding a hand, you know, behind their back? You can't see it. Um, mm -hmm. These types of things, you know, are relevant. And the real world has got so many tremendous lessons. And to say that there's any one simple formula or piece of advice to say this will cover you I, like we talked about earlier it's just not like that things are more elaborate and complex than than what you could be understood by a simplistic viewpoint yeah no absolutely absolutely it's, it's a you know it's a strange one isn't it i mean the world is changing massively mm -hmm. very very quickly at the moment um you know I, I spent many many years working in an environment where there was a huge gang culture there was a huge criminal element some of the the worst horriblest nightclubs that you can imagine um for, for many many years i lived on one of the worst sink estates in the uk and you know that 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 was that was a, a strange existence because crime was just part of the that was just part of the deal you know violence crime drugs prostitution all of those good things that was just part of everyday life you'd open the door and there it was in glorious technicolor you know um now i and now I live in a semi-rural location. It's lovely. There's a there's there's a very low crime rate. It's you know it's a great existence. And uh, but the upshot of that is my physical gym, my physical premises, where it used to be, the people that came to train with me, they wanted real and raw and mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and to the point. Whereas now, they don't because they live a different existence. You know, I'm in a different location, and in that location life is a not nicer <laughs> and so yeah there's a very real reflection in the way that people train and want to train sure. um, dictated to by sort of where they are and the, and the and the experiences that their own life gives to them um and what i find really interesting with that is that you can't convince somebody of the levels of violence that are out there if they've never experienced it for themselves or they've never you know they've never seen it yeah it is hard for them hard to imagine and hard to uh internalize or or you know it's one thing to tell them a story and you can kind of okay that's a good story but you're right in in the idea that you're in a safe place i live in a suburb as well and it's quite peaceful here but the odds are never zero of mm -hmm. of having a violent encounter and you know, I've I've known people that have been held up at knife point in a in a, a roadside stop on a freeway, right. in the middle of rural Minnesota. You know, so you'd think, well, there, there's not carjacking, there's no you know bad neighborhood out there. But you know, if it's a place where somebody can you know a criminal can find some easy pickings, and you know it'll it, there's nobody's prepared for it out there. You know, that's the the predators go to where the prey is. And your odds are are maybe really really small, but they're not exactly zero. So uh, that's a, a you know could happen to anybody. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, good things, uh, sorry, bad things happen to good people all the time. That's a, uh, unfortunately, that that is true. So uh, again, I suppose that takes us all the way back full circle, isn't it? Which is mm -hmm. really understanding what it is we're training for, because there's nothing wrong with training for pleasure or training for fitness or training for community or training for, you know, history or training for competition. You know, all of these outcomes are completely relevant and okay, you know. But if we're talking actual self-defense when it comes to edge weapons, actual self-defense, not any of the other things, then, then we do have to be quite specific in what attributes we're trying to encourage. You know? and that, so that really just wraps up the whole conversation, doesn't it? I think? It does. And, and I think in terms of tools, it's one of those, you know, if you get into a fist fight, you can lose and not really, it, it sucks. You get banged up, you get hurt, you get some pain. But you know you live, and a knife attacks a different creature, and, mm -hmm. and it's there. There you don't have the ability to screw around or to uh, to not perform. It it could it's your life on the line, um, yeah. and so I think with that intensity and, and that level of ante on the table, uh, it really points out that that training for that is a, is in a different realm um, mm -hmm. in terms of le level of in, of just seriousness and and having make sure to have integrity with that. Um, yeah, absolutely. My take of it. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I given the conversation that we've just had, I mean, I would, I, I would say to people, you know, learn about the law wherever you are. Learn learn about the the threats that that can be faced. Learn how to read situations. Learn how to do dynamic risk assessments. You know learn how to sensibly manage those threats by making sensible choices you know do all of those things before you worry about a physical you know skill set that's the that's the last part of the puzzle um and, and really that's you know fundamentally that's i suppose how i feel about it is the sense that you know we we train knife defense most of us do in one guise or another but I honestly think that that is the very, very, very end piece of the puzzle, not the first part. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and we certainly can't hyper focus on, you know, wrist grabs, disarm, hand work, and that sort of thing, and omit all of those different subjects. And you know, we we really didn't dive into terrible detail, but we if we did, we could be talking for a week solid. So hopefully, this is uh, a good encompassing discussion for people to get some new ideas and and to how to think about the knife and how their training relates to uh these these different aspects of it yeah absolutely i mean the whole point of the conversation or i i feel the whole point of the conversation was to just open up some different questions in and around the conversation to hopefully start new conversations i mean that's that's the beauty of these kind of things is it's not a you know it's not a we start here we finish here and that's it the whole point of this is that it will then lead on to more questions, more conversations, more understanding, and more, you know, uh, uh, more exploring. That's the that's the hope. Absolutely, and more growth. That's what that's what the whole thing is about: is growing into a, a you know positive place with greater level of understanding, and with that we we each grow. So, uh, I want to thank you very much, Matt. It's always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Uh, hope things are going well for you over there. Um, looking forward to you know lockdowns hopefully lifting up and getting over and, and getting on the mat with you in September. 
yeah no i enjoy these conversations all the time my friend so i appreciate it and, and i enjoy chatting with you and and yes i'm you know genuinely looking forward to you coming over and uh not just training but having a beer and you know chatting oh that's more. what i'm looking forward to even most is going out for a beer and some food and sitting around and laughing and joking together like that's gonna yeah, be absolutely. great absolutely. that's you know i'm genuinely looking forward to it it's uh it, it's something that i think we could all do with after the past year absolutely we got some cabin fever big time over here so we're looking to looking to get out yeah yeah <laughs> all right well you have a great rest of your day and a great weekend and we will talk to you again soon and you thank you very much cheers mate take care thank you very much for listening and i hope you enjoyed this discussion stay tuned for more episodes i've got some great stuff on the way very soon in the meantime enjoy your training